Welcome to the When I Grow Up podcast with me, Katie Filey. Each week I interview a guest about the trials, tribulations and joys of growing up. My guest this week is video producer, lifestyle host and stop motion artist extraordinaire Lucy Fink. With a career that reads like a modern day millennial fairy tale, Lucy wrote up her dream job description and the role was created for her at the digital media company Refinery29. Such magic, however, does not happen without one hell of a lot of hard work, undeniable talent and ambition. Driven by a relentless curiosity and enthusiasm for connecting with others, Lucy breathes literal and metaphorical colour into everything she creates. For almost three years, she's filled Refinery29's YouTube and social media channels with a string of successful series such as Try Living With Lucy, where she takes on social experiments for five days at a time. Whether it's five days of eating nothing but pizza or five days of wearing the same outfit, Lucy throws herself in hook, line and sinker. If you aren't already following Lucy on Instagram, then I heartily recommend you do so for a daily dose of colour and optimism. So Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so pleased that we've managed to connect and get you on my podcast because genuinely have been a really long time fan of yours um, and I've pretty much binge watched all your YouTube videos so yeah thank you for putting them out in the world. Of course thank you so much for having me I'm really excited we connected. Yeah so as this is called When I Grow Up the first question I always ask guests is what did you think you'd be when you grew up? I believe it or not given my current career path always thought I was going to be a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually went to college pre-med as a neuroscience major and really just thought the whole medical route was for me. That was based on just experiences you had as a child, which is like an ability to watch gory videos without kind of turning away. And do you think you were influenced by other people or you thought that was your path in life? I think it was mainly what you said, the ability that I had to stare at a surgery (laughs) TV show or go on YouTube and watch a C-section procedure, which is, by the way, the goriest surgery in the world. Um, And it was partially that mixed with my parents had a friend who was a plastic surgeon. And at a pretty young age, she, at a pretty young age of mine, she was an adult (laughs) practicing surgery, but she came over to our house with pig's feet and a whole suture kit and she lined my siblings and me up and taught us how to suture as if we were doing plastic surgery on the pig's feet and I was all about it I was very careful with my stitches and I loved it and I felt like it was an art form and my sister ran out of the kitchen and didn't want to see a pig ever again (laughs) (laughs) but there was there were a few things in my childhood that had me thinking I wanted to work in medicine And did you feel comforted when you felt you were on that track and on that path? And you obviously then had this predetermined track that you could go down. You knew what boxes you need to tick. Definitely. And I also really was the only one of my friends that was attempting to go down that pre-med path at the time. I, I mean, my high school friends. And so I also had sort of a sense of pride about it. I remember feeling like it was a very smart career and it was a very heady, brainy thing that if I went down, I would be highly regarded for being very smart and knowing a lot. And I actually remember the the day I changed my major, I had sort of a nightmare where I told someone that I wasn't 
neuroscience major anymore. And I remember in the dream feeling bad about it. I felt like I had just dropped down a few rungs on the ladder. How did you feel when you made that decision to swap? Was it something that you took lightly or was it just like a sudden snap one day where you were like, actually, nope, this isn't for me? Well, firstly, I was really fortunate that my parents were not really a factor at all. The way for some students, their parents push them to go into career fields, maybe that they've been in or that they know are very lucrative. And my dad is a radio DJ, so he's always been in the media and music industry. And my mom, before she had kids, she was in the design world and she did a little bit of fit modeling. But as an adult, after she had children, she was just a stay-at-home mom and took care of her whole house. And so they were never, they themselves weren't doctors and lawyers on this rigorous, very defined career path. And it wasn't a situation where they felt the need to push me or my siblings. Uh, So that was great to have that sort of support when I changed careers. But it wasn't really that sudden. It was sort of over the course of my freshman year in college when I realized that I wasn't in the right place. And it happened for a variety of reasons. But I remember specifically having a bunch of conversations with fellow pre-med students who were interested in going into all different forms of medicine. Mm-hmm. I just remember feeling like, wow, we are doing this for completely different reasons. Like I I used to tell my mom that I wanted to be a doctor and my dream was to be Sanjay Gupta, who is like speaking on TV as a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, these other students didn't want to be a doctor in order to communicate what they've learned to the public. They wanted to be a doctor to actually treat people and do what doctors are meant to do. So now you're now you're at college, you've made that decision and you're, you're feeling emboldened by that decision. Did you feel like a bit of a aha moment? Like, you know, I'm in, I'm in the right area, like I'm feeling more myself. How did you feel? Honestly, no. I felt at that point I switched out of neuroscience and my university, Johns Hopkins, didn't have the exact type of digital media department like that I'm in now and I just wanted to switch into a more creative field and so I chose the major that I enjoyed the most that I thought was creative which is a creative writing major and of course I know now creative writing can apply to any job you get whether you're a writer or if you're writing scripts or if you're just writing emails to people that degree comes in handy I knew that it was a good field to go into, but I also never really thought of myself. I knew I wasn't going to be a novelist or a writer. I mean, maybe down the line, I'd love to write a novel, but that's never been my main career goal. And because of that, I, I didn't feel this aha moment, like, wow, I'd made the best choice. I just felt like I knew the medicine thing wasn't right. And I'm glad that I cleared that up because I definitely didn't want to go down the pre-med 10 more years of college thing. I had it in my head that I wanted to graduate and get a job in entertainment in some way. And I was just going to use my creative writing major as my liberal arts education. Yeah. The real way that I was focusing on getting a career in entertainment and particularly in production was the video series that I had produced for the university, which was my little side extracurricular activity that turned into 
a whole bunch of my time at school and a lot of my energy went into producing and hosting this YouTube show for the college and it became a pretty big show at the school and I was able to leverage that to make my appearances on the Today Show. And so by the time I graduated, I had built a nice on-camera video reel that I was able to use as sort of like proof of on-camera ability. Mm. And while you were doing all this, like, did you feel that it was so much more about the process and just like enjoying it? Like, were you ever thinking about the end result? I really wasn't thinking about the result because I didn't even, I really wanted to explore what, what roles were even available in this world. I didn't know much about it. Neither of my parents were in digital media. And of course, digital media itself is just so new. There's no chance any parents could have been in it. But it was yeah, explaining to my parents what I do is just they do they do not know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And it's this whole digital media space is so new that there's really nothing even if you went to your digital media center in college in 2012, there's no learning anything similar to what actually happens in the real world today. And yeah, yeah. I just remember I had an internship at a film company and I thought that the film industry was a little bit too slow for me. They were working on one project for the entire summer I was there. And I learned that they were also working on that same project for two years before I arrived. Oh my, wow. So, whereas, whereas what you do now is just like much faster turnaround, isn't it? Exactly. But I also was, I had the opportunity to be on the Today Show, which was obviously live. And so I got to compare the film industry with the live TV industry. And I said in my head somewhere along the line that film was too slow and TV was maybe a little too fast and it didn't have any sort of shelf life. Once it's over off the television, I guess they can put it online, but the online section didn't have any sort of community around it where people could rewatch and comment and that kind of stuff. And digital internet videos honestly seemed to have the best cadence for me where it was you know, a video a week or a video every couple weeks and you just keep moving and keep turning them out and continuing to come up with new ideas and be creative, but getting to share your content into an audience that is responding to you. Yeah, so it's almost like every kind of dot along the way you can connect now because you were learning at the time, you know, you just moved into different areas, tried film, tried TV. I feel there's this pressure for young people just to arrive, you know, instantly in what they're meant to be doing and just get there to their destination did you feel the pleasure and the excitement of just learning along the way like did you ever put yourself under pressure to be like yep I need to I need to be here at this point and I need to have had this in my career by this point I definitely put a little bit more pressure on myself than I I think I should have and when I look back and I think now about how stressed I was graduating and I really wanted to get a full-time job instead of getting an internship role and I know now that if you want to work in digital media pretty much you need to start as an intern and that wasn't something I knew at the time and I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself thinking about what I wanted to do and what path I would go down and of course I was comparing myself to my twin who was in finance with a very linear path she had her full-time job secured junior year in college and I was, you know, kind of, not that I was comparing myself to her because I know we're very different fields, but it, a lot of my friends seemed to be in that boat where everything was sort of linear and I was just weaving and 
I definitely was stressed, but if I have a takeaway from it, it's that the stress didn't help me figure it out at all. It's so true though, I think like there's this moment at university where everyone seems to have a job lined up or they're about to go onto some kind of graduate scheme. And then I just felt like I was floundering around for ages, interning, not really having a clear track and being sometimes a bit embarrassed about not knowing where I was going. And yeah. and it is not very nice to feel directionless, but I think it's like to know that it's okay because everything that you're doing is a piece towards the the greater picture of like figuring it out. Yeah. You've obviously, when you graduated, you tried various roles, you kind of interned and did you feel like your first substantive role was at Ogilvy? Was that the thing that really cemented your skills and made you realise digital media and video is where you want to be? Yeah, and and Ogilvy was a great job because it was sort of like what I was doing at Hopkins by making those YouTube videos, but on such a grander scale for million dollar budgets for big brands. And it was funny because the output was still living on YouTube. So I had just basically grown in production value, but kept the, the channel the same. And that was a really great learning experience. I was so low down on the ladder. So I was really just doing office pre-production and taking notes on calls and and very much assistant level. But my team, who were the people whose jobs I was hopefully headed towards, were traveling to Russia and Italy and Vietnam and making these amazing films with brands. And I thought it was so incredible. The whole world, it, it wasn't really advertising. It was sort of branded content, more engaging and different from just watching a 30 second commercial spot it really just tells the brand story in a video and it was everything from the creative concept to the production to the post-production and then posting it and so I got to see a bunch of videos through to completion and felt like it was such a great learning experience for me but even while I was there I sort of had this little voice in the back of my head telling me how I really knew that somehow getting on camera was a big dream of mine. And I just didn't know how to get there because it was not really an option at Ogilvy. They weren't looking for their production assistants to appear on camera in a branded video. Like if they were going to use someone on camera, they were going to cast people that had agents and it was going to be not an internal employee. Yet I still had this dream of somehow being on camera, I just really didn't know how to do it because I was strictly against running out to get a talent agent at that stage when I felt like I hadn't done enough on my own to deserve an agent. And I was also a little bit afraid that an agent would start pitching me for shows that were just not my type of content that I wanted to be associated with. So I, I've always known that I'm not that interested in red carpet hosting or celebrity gossip style interviews. And of course, I would do it for a company if I was under a contract with them and they asked me to, but it was never my dream to you know, host one of those types of shows. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I didn't want to just get an agent and be sent off for random things. I really had a strict idea in my head of the type of content I wanted to make. And it was all a little bit more lifestyle related and a little bit more cute and funny and to a younger audience and educational and basically what I'm doing now. I just didn't know where I would do it. 
there's definitely temptation at certain points to just take a step and then think, oh, well, I'm kind of doing it and I'll do it for a bit and then I'll pivot. And I really admire that you knew exactly what the kind of content you wanted to make and you weren't really going to make exceptions or allowances. Sometimes I think having that singular vision is a really good way forward. So that's kind of how you then made that leap to Refinery29. Was it a, a colleague, Lisa Clooney, that brought you over? It was. And was that kind of an introduction that she made, just like she thought it was like a matchmaking of brands and she thought it might work for you guys? Yeah, I had one or two meetings with her at Ogilvy when I was a very junior level and she was very senior level. And I, even though they were totally not meant to be interviews, I saw them as interview opportunities. So I went into her office with my portfolio and all these materials and started playing her videos. And I just remember, you know, she must see tons of young kids every week who want to come into her office and show their work to her. And I just remembered her expression from the moment I walked in. She was very clearly being a little bit more neutral in the sense of how much she cared about the meeting that was happening as the meeting progressed and as I showed her more and more, I literally watched her face transform and I could see her start to think and get really excited about me. And by the end of the meeting, she was like, Are you, do you have five minutes? I want to introduce you to some people. And she brought me over to this team of other young creatives and she made a connection between us and she was like, Lucy, these are some other young people at Ogilvy that are really creative and doing cool work. You guys should work together. And in fact, I'd love to have you work with them on, there's this project that just came across my desk. We have a new, uh, we want to make a new video for our HR team that's going to basically tell, tell people why Ogilvy is a company. And we would love for you to produce that and be on camera for it if you want. And I, it was such a cool opportunity because it was a video with these, like the chief officer of Ogilvy North America. Wow. Who's like this man. Top dogs. Worked there for like 20 years. And I had the opportunity to produce a video with him. And the idea that I pitched that he liked the best was me and him together on camera going through some bucket list items in the Ogilvy office and just having fun and showing how the office is fun and how people of different ages are hanging out and how diverse we are. And I made this video. It turned out to be a great hit for the website. And just about the time that the video came out, that was when Lisa moved to Refinery. And she gave me a call on my desk phone to tell me she was leaving. It wasn't that call where she suggested I move because that would have been poaching really quickly. (laughs) Just about a few months later, she contacted me and suggested that I would be a good fit for the video team at Refinery. And I had no idea what Refinery29 was, what type of content they were making. I, I hadn't even been to the website. And so I did a little bit of research and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I took this informational interview, not really... I hadn't hedged all my bets on it yet. I hadn't set my heart on the job. I really just wanted to learn more. And I went into this interview that turned into the chief content officer basically asking me what my dream job description looked like and then offering me that description. 
what do you think it was about you in like say your initial meetings with Lisa that turned her expression from maybe a little indifferent to just complete being totally behind you in every way and then the same at Refinery 29? I know for certain what it was <laughs> and they both, <laughs> they both told me after the fact that it was the fact that I went in there with tangible visible portfolio items to show them of what I had already done and work I had already created, even though it was not for a job, it was just in my spare time as an extracurricular, here's what I do for fun. And at Ogilvy, that was me showing Lisa my Hopkins videos and my Today Show clips. And at Refinery, that was me showing Refinery all of that stuff from the past, but also my Instagram account at the current time, which was I was building it into sort of a stop motion video creative feed and I was doing partnerships with brands on my own on the side of Ogilvy that were little stop motion creative social media partnerships and I had a nice Rolodex of brands I had already worked with and videos I showed them that I had already made as a little side business and I think they wanted to take someone who was such a go-getter and had already proven that she was just making the content on her own, very scrappy, not a huge budget. And obviously I had another job to do. So they knew I could manage multiple projects at once. She told me, you know, we have so many people walk through these doors and tell us what they want to do and what they hope to do in a job. But very few people come in and tell us like, here's what I want to do. And I'm already doing it on my own. And I'm just waiting for someone to hire me to do it. sometimes people wait for permission to be able to make things whereas actually it's never been easier just to go ahead and do what you want to do and make stuff it doesn't even matter if hundreds of thousands of people aren't watching it because as long as you're getting the satisfaction from putting what you want to out into the world like that's all that matters and I guess you must have just been driven by your passion for telling stories and your stop motion was just your you you said when you used to rush home from work at 6 p.m that it just felt like you were making magic and that just feels like the reason to do something it should never be the end result it should just be the experience of making it exactly and I could not have even guessed that a brand would offer to pay me to do that when I first started I didn't even I don't even think social media influencers were really that prevalent at the time and I didn't even know that people were paying people to be an influencer for a product let alone just paying a girl out of her New York City apartment to create a video for their ad campaign and that became a whole learning experience for me. It was something I just never expected. And then when it popped up, I just had to totally learn on the fly and make things up as I went along. So obviously this whole podcast, the premise is about feeling empowered to make big decisions in your career and even at times when you're feeling lost. And I feel like you'd already kind of made quite a big decision when you're at a fork in the road about which degree to major in. When you were jumping from Ogilvy to Refining 29, did it feel slightly scary because you were going from a massive advertising agency to maybe a a lesser known brand where you felt like your future maybe would be less certain? Definitely. I was equal parts excited and nervous. And even just, I remember calling my parents to tell them about the initial call even before I went in for the interview and I could hear the skepticism in their voice. (laughs) (laughs) What is this company? We're typing it into the internet right now. And it's like, 
you never want to have to explain to someone why a company is good. You know, you want to say, oh, I'm going to interview at Amazon where everyone knows the name and telling them this little company. I remember the amount of times that my parents gave me the talk about how Ogilvy is this over a hundred year establishment and is not going anywhere, but Refinery29 could fold tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you're so right. You know, it could. I don't think it's going to because it's pretty stable in terms of investments and it's like a growing company. So it's not just going to implode, I don't think. But at the same time, I'm ready for it to implode if that's what's going to happen. I think they were just playing devil's advocate because they also knew that the role was potentially better. They just had to accept that there was this company out there that was focused on young people and they'd never heard of it. And now it could be a big deal, but who knows? Did you find it destabilizing in any way, having any kind of niggling doubts swirling around your brain? Did you did you listen to them for a moment or did you just kind of listen to your gut instinct on this one? Um, I We had a million conversations. We went back and forth. And I think what really started to sway me was the amount of outside people in the younger generations that I spoke to. And without fail, almost anyone that I spoke to that was in the media industry seemed to say that that was a great up and coming brand. And, you know, a couple of my friends were like, Oh, I've been reading it for years. And I was like, well, where, where have I been? Why has no one told me? (laughs) But I, I just had never come across it in my time on the internet. I guess I wasn't a, I've never been a big publication reader, I guess until now. And I was so happy to hear that other people knew of it and thought highly of it. And, you know, one of my friends was working at the investment company that was investing in it. And he had great things to say. And I was like, all right, a lot of the signs are pointing me in a good direction. Yeah. It's funny that even though you can be so certain in it, I I always sometimes just want that rubber stamp of approval from a few people just to kind of make that decision feel valid. Yeah. Even though I know I should know the decision and make it myself. (laughs) Totally. So when you landed there, did you find very quickly that it was just the, the perfect place for you in terms of you were doing the job description you had written, you had complete creative freedom? Did you kind of hit your stride immediately and just feel incredibly creatively fulfilled? I did. And it was a very incredible work environment. I mean, I there took some adjusting time period to get used to the new job and the way things worked in there. And especially in 2015, the video team was very new and small and not a lot of systems were in place. So when it came to, you know, now at Refinery, fast forward three years almost, there are 150 people on this team that used to have 15 people when I started. And we're in a whole new floor of the building. Everyone's all together and in one big floor and if you want to come up with a video idea, there are a million and one things you need to go through and a green light process and a budget approval and the resources to shoot it and booking the shooter and handling every aspect of it is a job now. In the early days of Refinery, it was sort of like, here's money, go shoot. (laughs) And I remember getting there and feeling a little bit like I, I was almost craving the type of role that I had at Ogilvy where I was very clearly working under somebody and I was their assistant and I was being told what to do every second of the day. I did feel like that was a little bit 
helicoptery, but it also gave my day a rigid schedule and I always knew what I needed to be working on. Whereas I got to refinery and I was like, so who is my boss? Like, who am I working under? And I mean, I knew who my boss was like at the very top level, the VP of programming was my boss, but working under that person, there wasn't someone in my day to day role that was telling me what to do. So he gave me approval and he verbally greenlit a budget for me to go shoot a pilot of this series that I wanted to create. And I just went out with a few people around my age or younger, picked up our phones. In the beginning, a lot of stuff was shot on an iPhone and a little 5D camera just because we didn't really have in-house shooters at the time. Then I'd put the content on my computer and edit it myself or sit with a very junior editor and go through the footage and piece it together. And it was, I don't want to say unorganized because we were organized with what we were doing, but there was no sort of formal structure or check-ins with the manager and seeing how we're doing. I just shot and edited a video, showed it to him when it was done. He liked it. He told me to make another. So I went on to make another. He liked that, told me to make a third. So I made a third. And by the time I had made four, he told me, okay, we're going to now program the first one you made on YouTube this Friday, and now you are four weeks ahead. Just keep going. Wow. So do you think he had a plan for you? <laughs> he just didn't tell you. <laughs> I think he knew in digital media, like, you need to get content in the can before you can yeah, yeah. sing it. Did you feel like any kind of imposter syndrome as you were going in there? Because I think I like sometimes being in a structured environment where you feel like you know your job. You know, I think everyone was an imposter (laughs) (laughs) at Refinery. Like everyone was just sort of coming in and taking on way more than they had ever taken on. And that's just sort of the nature of being at such a young, growing division of a company and Everyone, you know, until we got production management people and more people that were more experienced to put systems into place that none of us knew needed to be there, everyone was kind of free for all, just tons of content being churned out, not much strategy behind it, just a lot of content back to back until we really started crafting our voice and our message and the tone of the company. But it took a lot of just fake it till you make it. And I think the one thing that made me feel a little bit more credible and a little bit better about what I was doing was the fact that, you know, a ton of people at Refinery just kind of end up in videos because it's obviously cheaper to not pay talent. So we'll just use internal employees. But the fact that I had my own series was obviously different than an employee being in a one-off video. And I think the fact that I had the experience that I had had in the past at Hopkins, but particularly the Today Show appearances came in handy there when it came to giving me credibility as a host and as a personality. And I think I initially received a very nice level of respect from my fellow employees who realized that I was brought into the company to do this on camera role and just like a producer who wanted to throw herself in something but had no experience doing it. Do you feel a real sense of pride when you look at what you've achieved, like over kind of 75 episodes? Yes, I look back, I feel amazed by the volume, first and foremost, just because, of course, it's been years, but it feels like a blink of an eye since I first started there. And even more probably than a sense of pride, I just feel like really amazed by the growth and the change 
not only within the series, but everything else around the series. And I mean, two things in specific. First and foremost, just the working environment of Refinery went from being complete startup at square one to a fully functioning digital department that's winning awards. And having been there since not the very beginning, but very early on, it's really an interesting story. And it was such a great place to be at to learn as an employee, you know, how things change. And I I feel like I've just garnered so much knowledge from just being in the building. And then the second way that it's sort of evolved has been around me as a person and my interests and my likes and dislikes and what is important to me in my life at the time. I mean, of course, the quality has improved. And I think my on-camera presence has gotten a lot more natural and all that stuff that comes from just being on camera all the time. But in terms of the content, I personally have made a big change in my life and my values in the sense, particularly in the sense of health and food and nutrition and wellness and all that. And pretty early on, early on in the sense of that refinery, but also all my life before that, I was, as you probably can tell from my Instagram feed back in the day, I was a coffee loving, (laughs) candy eating, you know, junk food lover, everything that's rainbow and sour and colorful and pizza and, and kind of all that stuff that was really fun to post on Instagram. And I have a very specific body type that's the same as my sister and my mom, and I never gained any weight from eating that stuff. So I never, you know, saw it on me. It just was going in me and probably like not helping my health. And I I don't know if it was the gallbladder situation, although I think that's probably what it was, was just the scariest time in my life to know that something and and I don't think that I, I formed gallstones from my eating. I think that I, I think it was my birth control, to be honest. But despite that, it was just the scariest time to know what was going on inside of me and that it wasn't working properly. And that time in my life sort of coincided with me getting really interested in when I did five days of herbal remedies and learning about really natural products. And I started learning about natural products also from my zero waste video because there's a lot of overlap there. And before long, you know, I was introducing topics of things I wanted to do that I thought would really be helpful for my life in the current state. And a few examples of recent topics that are like that, I just did five days of self-care, which was much needed for me after my January of this year, which was a little hectic. And I, I just did five days of spring cleaning, which is coming out in a few weeks, which I thought was great because I really wanted to clean. <laughs> and so a lot of it is, of course, taking ideas from the audience and making sure it's relevant to them. But figuring out what I'm really passionate about doing and then putting that on display in a very natural way. Yeah, it's great that you can kind of implement stuff that is so tuned with who you are and what's authentic for you. It feels like actually what you're doing on camera, like you said, is part of who you are in your life. Like, do you do you ever struggle with having to kind of share a lot online? And do you feel sometimes there's just bits that you want to keep back of your life or... Do you feel like this sense of entitlement from an audience puts you under pressure? Makes total sense. I think, yes, in a lot of ways. I, it's not that I don't want to share too much. It's that I 
I guess the biggest thing is with my series and with the amount of things that I try and put out there as, you know, I'm trying a veganism diet or I'm trying to cut out all my waste. When I do things like that, I often feel like it gives people this idea in their heads that I'm now a vegan or I'm now a zero waste guru. And most of the time after the video is over, I don't continue with the full challenge at the level that I was doing it for the five day video. So if it's something that's really great for me and really good for my life, of course I will add it in, in a very natural and seamless way that just fits into my lifestyle. And there have been tons and tons of videos. Like I, I could probably pull out one to five things from every single video that I now do pretty regularly. But that's not to say that I'm full time any of the videos after they're done. And I think sometimes just because of some of the feedback I've gotten, for instance, a year or two years after I do the zero waste video, I'll still have people comment on the video, a, a recent video about, oh, I thought you were zero waste. Why aren't you using glass? And Boy. I'll have to write to them like, hello, I was, I was zero waste for five days. It's like a great, greater good for raising awareness for it exactly. in the first place. And, and that's how I think of it. I think of it as like, listen, I'm not Lauren Singer. I'm not uphauling up my life and changing everything and becoming a zero waste spokesperson. I tried it as part of the series and hopefully introduced millions of people to the idea of zero waste. And I myself have reduced drastically the amount that I produce and probably produce less waste than the average human. But that being said, I'm not zero waste and you're going to see plastic in my videos. And I think I've had to sort of think a lot more heavily about what I put on display just because I sort of know that people are holding me to the standard of what they've seen. And veganism is another example of that. I tried that episode and got a lot of new vegan fans from it. And that was amazing, but I'm definitely not a full vegan. I've taken a lot away from the video and cut out major amounts of meat. Like I'm pretty much vegetarian, but not fully. And I just don't have a title for what I am. I just sort of eat whatever is making me feel good. But I'll get called out all the time for having meat in place of when I could have had a non-meat alternative. And so I always think five times as hard as anyone else about every shot we're getting. And, you know, if, if there's going to be chicken, I want to replace it with something just to kind of like appease those people, even though in my real life, you know, I would eat a chicken and I maybe just wouldn't show it on camera because I know no yeah. one appreciates it. So you're obviously inspiring lots of people every day with your challenges and you're staying inspired by having the new challenges constantly. I feel like New York features very heavily. It feels like a character sometimes in your videos. Yeah. Do you find that it's where, where you live is a huge part in keeping you inspired every day? Definitely. I love the city. I There are certain areas of the city that are my favorite areas that I don't even live in. <laughs> and sometimes I just, it's weird. When I'm out of the city and I'm thinking of home, I think of these other areas that are not necessarily where I even live. Uh, Which areas? For instance, the biggest area is this little tiny triangular park that I don't even know if it has a name. I should probably look it up in the West Village. And it's right, you know, off the corner of this gelateria. And it's my favorite little park ever. 
And honestly, I haven't even been there that many times. <laughs> like pass it a lot. And I've gotten that ice cream many times. And it's just reminds me of New York and keeps reminding me why the city is so cute and charming. And I think New York City is a big factor. I love this city and encourage everyone to move here <laughs> because I seriously think like I, I'm really into the show Friends and I've been watching, I, I've seen every episode pretty much, but I just recently started watching from season one again through season 10 and then I'm just going to go back to season one and everything about the show just has, it's such a New York happy place and I love that I live in, I actually live in that city and can actually make my life similar to that. <laughs> what do you consume daily and what do you read? So the first, first and foremost, when I wake up in the morning, I like to listen to podcasts. And the, the main one that I've been listening to recently is the New York Times podcast, The Daily, which is usually, it's, it's only one story. It's not like a roundup of the news of the day, although he does cover what else you need to know at the end. But it's usually a deep dive into one topic, typically a political topic, which is helpful for me because I don't always read the newspaper every day. So if I don't listen to the daily, I might not know the biggest political news that's happening. Um, but I love doing that. And I'm also on this email blast that is called Axios, A-X-I-O-S, that just kind of sends me the news. And it's always good. I, I like feeling well educated about what's happening in the world even if it has no relation to me and my content um because it really doesn't my content is just so lifestyle and evergreen and it's not built in a certain year so um it usually doesn't have any relation to what I'm doing at work but I like to know about it and frequently discuss it with my boyfriend and my friends and so I love reading those kinds of things in terms of Books. I love books and I really like nonfiction, but I'm also pretty big on books that are helpful for you and your life and helping you, whether it's, you know, eat well or be bolder and take risks. And one of my favorites that I recently read is a book called The Blue Zones. And it's all about the, the regions of the world where the people live the longest lives and it sort of talks about their diets and their lifestyles and why they live so long. So oh, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's oh, it was so fun to read. I was so sad when it was done. And it has recipes and it, it's a great book. I'm also currently reading The Handmaid's Tale, which I really wanted to read before I watched the show, so I haven't seen it yet. But in terms of shows, I love, I'm just all over Netflix and... I like watching everything from old school things like Friends or uh, Seinfeld to more recent shows. Currently, I'm in the midst of The Crown and was also really into uh, HBO, Big Little Lies when that was out. And I Oh, that was amazing. I think season two comes of that soon. I'm amazed that you have time to consume all this. <laughs> Seriously, when do you sleep? <laughs> Seriously, I get in bed every night and usually put Friends on and fall asleep to that. <laughs> What advice would you give to someone, say if you had a friend or a listener or anyone who feels really stuck in their career and they look longingly at someone like you doing what they love every day and they're just like, how the hell can I do that? What would you tell them? I would tell them that first and foremost, they need 
to sort of figure out what it is they'd rather be doing. And I think if it's really difficult for them to figure that out, then maybe it's not the right time to start pursuing something else. I think that before you start pursuing a passion or doing something that really makes you happy, you should know what it is. And it shouldn't be because you thought so hard, you know, it should be something that you really know you love and you really want to work on somehow. And then my second piece of advice is I wouldn't, I'm not one of those people that would suggest that everyone quit their job and go pursue the alternative path because I understand not everyone has the luxury to do that. I didn't do that. I think it's really valuable to have a full-time job that you're clocking into and being able to make money from and working on the side on whatever it is your passion is or something that you want to grow in the future. And I think it's important to kind of take a beat and stay where you are for the moment and use it as an opportunity to take the time to craft your hobby and craft your real personal skill while you have an income and while you have this like support of being at a job. Cause that is so helpful. And you know, you can still be present and be working really hard and proving your worth at work while you're spending time after work and on the weekends doing something that's more meaningful and only once that meaningful side hobby starts taking off, that's when you can make that leap and try to do it full time. But I wouldn't jump out immediately just because you've seen other people be successful at it. Yeah, totally. I think it's easy to think that it just happens overnight and people just jumped from one career to the next, but people don't see years of behind the scenes planning and it's and it's okay to be patient and let it happen organically. Definitely. And I was just on another podcast recently where we talked about how a lot of people look at especially these social media influencers who put their lives on display and a lot of people think, "Oh wow, this person must have gotten there overnight, like a blink of an eye success." And all they see is the final outcome and where they are today and what they're working on without actually knowing the whole journey and what went into the journey. And even if even if you have a friend that's been with you and been your friend the whole time through the journey, even they don't know the journey because the journey is yours and it's sometimes internal struggle and you don't always share everything with anyone. So you don't always share everything with everyone. So you have your own story of how things evolved. And, you know, I know every stage of this journey. I remember when I had a thousand followers. I remember when I had 14,000. I remember hitting 80,000. Like I remember every stage and I'm the only one who's going to know that. And most other people who look at me are just going to think, that I was successful pretty quickly. But the reality is you've really been grafting for years and producing hundreds of videos, so. Yes, yeah, I it. would encourage people to, you know, if they're trying to build a brand, to do it that way and to do it slow and steady instead of trying to find, trying to be picked up by a, a media publisher and get some instant followers from being featured on BuzzFeed or being seen on a website because... I know a ton of accounts that have grown like that kind of in the early days of Instagram and their engagement levels are very low. The followers are not really there because they came over organically and found them through a search of something that's of interest to them. They really just 
were reading a listicle and found their name and hit follow, but it doesn't really mean much. Yeah, whereas you have a really loyal, engaged community. Yes, and I'm hoping that that sort of engagement and that sort of slow and steady growth ends up being more valuable in the long term than, say, someone that has millions of followers but just sort of blew up one day. So that actually segues really nicely into my final question, which is a full circle and what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) I.e., have you got any other future aspirations or are you really living in the moment? I toggle back and forth between the moment (laughs) and the future. (laughs) And as much as I, you know, I want to sit down and think about where I see myself, but I know the world is going to be so different. So I don't exactly know. But if I was going to give it a general statement, I want to grow and continue to grow Lucy Fink into a brand in and of itself. And, you know, I would love to become a notable personality who's appears on camera in whatever form of media is the media of the day, whether it's TV or digital or Snapchat or whatever people are watching. I want to be there and I want to have my name be more than just a person, but to be a real lifestyle brand. And I don't know if that means selling products or becoming, you know, having more experiential offerings or what, but something along those lines. That sounds amazing. And I think it's great to just say it out loud and be ambitious. Sometimes people are afraid to say what they want. And yeah, I think it's great that you're saying it. And I can't wait to see how you continue growing your brand because you've already done an amazing job so far. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means so much. Would you mind just letting people know where they can find you on all the different platforms? (laughs) Yes. So my main platform of the moment is Instagram. And my handle is Lucy, L-U-C-I-E, B, as in boy, Fink, F-I-N-K. And on Snapchat, where I have a lot of fun, it's just Lucy Fink. And then um, I'm also on Twitter, at Lucy B. Fink. But I'm not too active on Twitter. I need to start tweeting. And the, the main platform for watching all the videos is on Refinery29's YouTube channel. And I also have my own YouTube channel, which if you just type Lucy Fink into YouTube, you should see Refinery's channel, but also my personal channel. And that has some videos that I make on the weekends and on the side of work, more vlog style and more personal related than work. And yeah, those are the places to find me. Send me a DM, tweet me, I'll respond because I try to respond. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Lucy. And that's, yeah, that's precisely how we got in touch. And um, as I said, I've been long admiring what you're doing. And it really was you that kickstarted me into action because it made me realize that I need to stop talking about it and just give it a try. Of course, I'm so honored that you feel that way and that you reached out and that it inspired this whole podcast. That's amazing. (laughs)